This is a Triple J podcast. Pip, someone that we've been looking at on Instagram for years and that we're obsessed with, Vulgar Drawings. Oh, my God. I love her so much. If you don't know who she is, hit her up on Instagram. She is this incredible cartoonist from the UK, um, has a very distinct drawing style, and she basically does, like, cartoon comic panels about, like, dating sex relationships, um, feminism, porn, mm. a lot of internet culture, right? Yes, she has over 350,000 followers. Like she and there was one post in particular that blew up and I remember seeing it last year, I think it was. It was around the anniversary of dating apps, 10 years, and she posted about like dating apps and dating app fatigue yeah. and how everyone's so burnt out from dating apps and it went off and so many people in the comments like she's built this incredible community where people just really resonate with a lot of you know, the the cultural comments she makes on her posts. Yeah, so obviously we've had her on our radar for a bit and we were so interested to chat to her. And then lo and behold, she puts out a podcast. And we were like, hey, we do a podcast. We love her content. Let's get her on. <laughs> it honestly was the most exciting thing. We were yeah. like, oh, hello, zooming into London. And not to mention she is chronically online like me. Oh, yeah, you so... guys were like full vibing. Oh, yeah, like we had all engines firing, like <laughs> memes, references, like random niche TikToks. Yeah, you guys were saying things and I was like, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's the thing, her whole podcast is called No Worries If Not, which really resonated with us as well. And it's about how like internet culture intersects with things like the patriarchy and like um, growing up and understanding like sex and porn and and like relationships as well with your parents with your friends alpha males um it's such an interesting pod so this is the whole chat we spent like 45 minutes with her deep diving into her own dating life as well as these episodes from her podcast oh and she has stories like there are some of the the things that she does we're both so obsessed with they're like (laughs) you're an absolute dating icon um and she's just really smart Oh, my God. So smart. Like, you're going to hear about it, but she's just, like, leading the charge in terms of, like, government bodies as well, like, on things like, yeah, sex and relationships. So it's crazy. Anyway, enough of us. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, no, we have been so excited to talk to you. We've just been absolutely gobbling up your podcast and we're big fans of your Instagram, which has existed for such a long time. It's got a huge community. There's like over 300,000 people who follow you. Um, Take us back to the start. Like, how did you, how did this become a thing for you? Like, when did you start like drawing and, and making this Instagram a thing? Yeah, so I have been drawing my whole life, but I wasn't really very good at it in the sense that I just wanted to draw like malnourished looking men which is what I do now even as a kid and then um I like almost failed art at school they were like you've got to do watercolors of fruit bowls like everyone has to do this trad art route and I was like no I want to draw Pete Davidson again and then um I was doing comedy like stand-up comedy and sketch writing I kept on submitting sketches that were like feminist because that was just my life it was like here's another sketch about sexism here's a sketch about sexual harassment here's a sketch about this shitty guy um they were like we love this but we need a bit of variation like it can't all be about this so I had some spare time and I was just like waitressing and drawing on the back of receipts and then in the quiet times I started to draw the sketches that I never used so I would draw these extra sketches I'd written and then I uploaded it to my personal Instagram account uh bit by bit and they just completely snowballed and people it just expanded and expanded with friends following me and other people following me and people just really 
connection with it and would start DMing me with like their own experiences that I could draw. And that was like 2018. And then by 2020, I had a hundred thousand followers. Um, and then I got a book deal and then published a book and then, um, kind of fell into like, we can discuss this, but like the deep holes of the manosphere. And, um, and then I have, now I have a podcast about women and internet culture. So it's been a crazy journey, but truly I feel like it's like a team project. I know, honestly, it really feels like that. Like the followers that have been there from day one, we talk all the time. I love them. We've grown together. Like my following started as 18 to 25. Now it's like 25 to 35 average. And it's 92% women, which I don't know if that's like good or also depressing. I can't tell, <laughs> but um, I just love them. And that's, yeah, that's how it all started. But really it was like, I needed somewhere to put my rage and I had all these excess writing and I put it there and people wanted a place for the rage too. I love that so much. I feel mm. like as well, Lily, it's kind of like you said, like it's, it's, just the the part that it resonates with so many women and like you said 92% of your followers are women but I'd love to know like sometimes we'll post something or we'll have interviewed someone who maybe is like talking about a feminist issue or something that they're frustrated about and then like the comments section is just fucking wild like there's so much backlash that comes with some posts that we do have you found that as well through your Instagram like are there posts that you've done that even though your following is mainly women that just attracts like a bit of like psycho like (laughs) do you know what I mean like a bit of psycho backlash in the comment section yeah it's been uh, I mean it's like a like you say a beast of its own it's fully its own thing so I don't really read the comments anymore because I I literally cannot keep up with them because it's constant it's like a reddit thread it's just constantly being added to and now I have these very loyal followers who do the fighting on my behalf which I'm so grateful for them I see them doing it I'm like yes such a good point amazing point yeah oh my god killed it just liking all of their responses but basically it yeah it started pretty bad um quite extreme in that like most any any kind of like woman with an opinion online people are like you're fat what you're a lesbian like that's <laughs> so um that's kind of where it started also obviously like death threats horrible threats and what was crazy is um I did a cartoon a post about the phrase not all men and why you don't need to say not all men and that got deleted by Instagram for hate speech against men which was so fun wow yeah and they and like the little the little bubble comes up and it's like you know it can it's like lists other examples of hate speech and it's like white nationalism uh swastikas and it's like right yeah that's that's where you view feminism fine but not even feminism just like talking about rape culture like that's but anyway it it took off like the story took off and news articles in in the UK were publishing stories about how awful this was and Instagram reinstated it 24 hours later so that was good but when it got really bad it was mostly incels and these were like 16 year old boys from Utah that would have like their school and an American flag and a picture of their mum in their Instagram and it was super weird and they would message me and I started to essentially engage with them back because I was bored in lockdown and also very interested and wanted to stick up for myself and I learned very quickly through trial and error that don't fire fight fire with fire don't come back with anger and aggression it doesn't work it just sort of isolates them further and I discovered that these men were essentially being radicalized and groomed by older men in um, Manosphere circles online, like 4chan, Reddit. 
And so I published this guide, uh, this free downloadable pamphlet for schools in the UK about like how to spot the early signs of men's rights activism, like the memes and the language. And it was crazy and everyone downloaded it and people still use it in schools, which is so cool. And now the UK government's counterterrorism program use it in their like, um, you can download like a safeguarding training pack. And they have that for the men's rights extremism as like a guide. So it was a really great moment to turn something negative into a positive, basically. Whoa, I'm really? blown away by that because, I mean, like, firstly, huge congrats. That's yeah. so fucking cool. And thank you. Yeah. On top of that, like we sometimes find that with some of our content and sometimes it doesn't take much to get onto the wrong side of the Internet. And it just like the algorithm just takes you to a place that you're like, whoa, OK incels sigma males like alpha Mm. males like here we are and it's really really scary let's talk about your podcast episode alpha male you've got a few out but this was one that um d and i really really loved like you know we can't ignore basically that the internet is seeing this huge rise in toxic masculinity and you really address it head on, but with a lot of like humor as well. What was like your biggest kind of takeaway, I guess, from creating this episode and talking to all your experts, which by the way, Lily does, has so much research behind every episode. Mm. I'm literally, the producing in this is like, you have a lot of voices going in, but yeah. What, what was your biggest takeaway? Thank you. I'm so glad you liked the episode. I mean, building that episode together was crazy. I, the takeaway really was Ruby like she was at the center of it all and the whole way it happened was just like a real happy accident yeah it started because I knew about the story the whole I would be really interested obviously had deep dived into these uh corners of the internet and I knew that the alpha male in animal the alpha male theory in the animal kingdom had been debunked but was just being hijacked by men online so I led with that and then the week that I was scripting it with my producers I got an uh, uh, Instagram DM just from this girl who was like so ruby's her fake name that's what we call her yeah and she um was like i saw your cartoon about incels and the manosphere like two years ago and it really stuck with me because i'm a teacher and i've been dating this guy and i just ended it because he started to call himself an alpha male and i was like what and she was like so i just wanted to say thank you I, if I hadn't seen that cartoon about the language to look out for, I wouldn't have been able to spot the science. And he started watching YouTube videos late at night and listening to loads of alpha podcasts. And I kind of watched him slowly radicalize himself. And I said, would you be open? Like, firstly, that's incredible. That's terrifying. You're incredible. Thank you for messaging me. Are you okay? And could I talk to you? But it's fine if you don't want to talk. And, um, we spoke for like an hour and she was like the coolest person ever and so empathetic and kind. The The thing that I remember through all of it is like what she says at the end. My biggest takeaway is she says, um, it's never a waste loving someone. And I just thought that was like the most beautiful thing. And I always think about that. And I think it's just like perfectly sums up the whole kind of empathy that the episode has. Um, and really, that's kind of the only way to, I think, approach radicalized people is to just like try and see the humanity in it and not point and laugh but to like, like understand where they're coming from mm. um and I love like the academic meets just like real world so like talking to speaking to Dr Franz who writes the books about like apes chimpanzees bonobos and alpha males and then speaking to Ruby just like some girl living in the UK whose boyfriend is like suffering from the actual evolution of that so yeah the alpha male episode my biggest takeaway is love and empathy baby 
peace yeah. and love like truly <laughs> I mean that's it like what you were saying before like you learned by when you were interacting with these incels during lockdown you were like fire versus fire that's not gonna work here and it's like it's coming from this really nasty root cause and there was something in the episode that I remember just like it tweaked my brain um where you were sort of talking about how there's this power balance and and men who are like the majority group at the moment feel like they're getting threatened and something's taken away from them um, during this. Like, do you think like that cause like is the main reason why we're seeing such a big rise in these like alpha, alt-right, like extremist groups, which do not define all dudes, but it's happening a lot. Yeah, I think so that that's called aggrieved entitlement. And I think it's such a great label to put on things. And I see it all the time everywhere, not just with men, with with like white conservative uh, spokespeople and, you know, right wing news channels. It's just um, it's it, it's basically someone else's gain is your loss. It's the idea that you're actively having something taken away from you. And it's there's, it's ridiculous. There's so much room for everyone. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely to do with society moving onwards I think you know 100 years ago even 20 years ago if you're a a boy at school you know what you're going to grow up to be you know what a man is and even though that was like a horrible soulless existence of being a man you knew where you stood and I think now it's quite daunting for a lot of men you ask if you were to ask a teenage boy what does it mean to be a man what would he say like there's there's no community or identity because they're not needed anymore they are just not needed like I the what I look to the future for what I want I want a dog an expensive coffee machine to live <laughs> like have great friends to have my own place and to have a kid and I need sperm for that but I don't need a man and I don't even need sperm I could adopt like the whole world like women can do whatever they want now well, not almost, whatever they want. And we don't need men like we used to. And I think that's quite daunting for a lot of men. So I think that people like Andrew Tate, who are romanticizing traditional uh, masculine values is a is a comfort to these men because they know where they stand. But more than anything with any of these groups, it's community. And I don't think that men uh, have that kind of solidarity that women have. So they really seek out community wherever they can find it. And that could even be like anti-vax groups. It can be any kind of extreme group that they find online. Um, I also think that men experience, like young men will experience rejection, heartbreak, low self-esteem, and there aren't really as many that there's not that many kind of resources I could turn them to. Like if I had a teenage girl daughter and a teenage son, I would know exactly which books to give my daughter. I would know what film she would watch. But with with a teenage boy, I think it's slightly harder to talk to him about his body, like what, you know, feeling insecure, that kind of stuff, watching Love Island or whatever. Um, and my brother's actually been a huge help with that because he's like very sensitive and open about that stuff. But yeah, I think um, so when men experience that kind of insecurity, I don't think they have necessarily that amazing role models to turn to. So they turn, they blame it on women. And it's so much easier to blame it on women than the patriarchy because you can see women and you can't see the patriarchy. I think it's it's very complex. But yeah, I think I think young men need to be educated about masculinity and it needs to also be reassessed what their purpose in the world is now that we now that they're not at the center of it and that's fine like what a relief to be a small fish in a big pond finally that was um who was that what was the name of the expert you spoke to lily who was going into schools and speaking to young men 
early on. So his name is Lewis Wedlock and he runs an organization called Project Zazi, but there's a few in the UK really, and there'll be some in Australia too, obviously. And um, But it, they are popping up, which is great. And it's kind of a branch of like relationship, sex, health, education that has is a new thing because it's needed. Mm. And it's groups going into schools to deliver workshops on masculinity to young men, but also to do trainings with teachers because a lot of teachers won't be as like TikTok uh, experts like young people are they won't see they really understand Jordan Peterson they really understand Andrew Tate so it's giving them that language and those kind of fake statistics that will often get shared on reddit about like false rape accusations for example that's the most common common one I come across with young men um and so they do that they do, and Lewis was amazing and he said that he spoke to over 2,000 young men between the ages of 11 and 16 and not once did he send someone out of the classroom for what they said even though it would often be very problematic but mm. he wanted to that would be a lost cause if he did so he wanted to change them and what I loved what he said most is because it was a six-week program and he would come in weekly they would say something one week quite extreme, like these females, these feminists, it's their fault, whatever. He'd come back a week later and he'd be like, do you remember what you said last week? And they wouldn't remember. And he's like, okay, well, that's kind of weird because you seem really passionate about that. And is your, that your actual opinion or is it just like a copy and pasted belief you saw online? And that's at the core of it, I think. Yeah, that's what I loved so much. That's what I was going to mention um, was the fact that he said that so much of their belief system was based off of like one TikTok or something that they read online. And it just shows like obviously this is what your podcast is all about is the intersection of internet culture and how that impacts like sex and dating relationships and patriarchy. And uh, I think at such a young age we are so susceptible to just like seeing something and believing it or just like getting all of our education and and I think that extends to sex right and that's what you spoke about in your orgasm gap and um, pleasure episode is the fact that like porn plays such a huge part in how people uh, have sex and the way that they learn about sex what did you find through doing that episode and like how like vast was that um, when you spoke to a lot of people about like yeah porn is like a huge it plays a huge impact in how people think about sex, especially young men. Yeah. I mean, porn is everywhere for our generation. It's It was just like a huge part of growing up for me and it was something that wasn't spoken about. And we weren't given porn education in school, which is such a shame. And it's only something that's starting to happen now. And I think my our generation's sex life would be so different if we were given porn education. Because the thing that I think I learned is I sort of had this belief going in, but I actually wasn't sure, but it really solidified it. Speaking to sex workers, speaking to people in the porn industry, and then speaking to people who had watched porn is that, you know, looking at solutions, banning porn isn't going to work. And I don't want to do that either because it's like an expression. It's a lot of people choose that industry because they want to do it. Ultimately, it's a positive thing that we live in a world where we can, you know, see R-rated stuff when we want to, like, thank God. But um, there's lots of right wing uh, kind of campaigners, especially in the UK at the moment, that are campaigning for essentially like ID cards to watch porn. So you have to be a certain age, you have to be 21 and you have to like log log that to access any porn imagery. But it just shows to me how um naive a lot of the older generations are about how we can hack the internet at, in a second like that I like you could just get a fake idea you could sign into your older brother's account you could use someone else's account like there's so many ways that you could go through that 
Um, so it's pointless. So really the tools, what I learned is that the tools that you need is to really confront porn straight on, talk about it, educate people about it, and actually uh, educate people in the whole media landscape. So when we spoke to Dr. Karen Gurney, who actually wrote the book on the orgasm gap, she's amazing. She has also has a TED talk about it if you want a little bite-sized version. Um, and she has two young boys. So she's starting this conversation early on and she's watching an action film with them and a car crash has happened and she's going, all right, is that real? Did that car actually crash? Were those people inside? Were they injured? So it's it's just like assessing that and giving them media literacy because it's very difficult to sit in a classroom and go, who watches porn, hands up? Yeah. What's actually better, yeah, what's actually better is to go, this is an industry, it's a, it's an industry that creates profit and you are a viewer, you are involved in the porn industry by being a participator, um, you know, and you need to be aware of what you're watching, of the fact that it's not real. It took a day to shoot, took lube, all that kind of stuff. And um yeah, I think it really solidified to me that people should be talking about porn more. Everyone's watching it. Everyone's pretending that they're not. We should be talking about it more and talking about media literacy from day dot, like truly from day one. If I have a kid, I'm not talking about porn with them from day one. Obviously, that would be very inappropriate. <laughs> but I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, look at that TV show. Like, you know, that's a costume. Let's go on IMDb. See, this is an actor. This is how it works. So it's just really important to give those people that tools and something that blew my mind that Karen said uh, was sex is the only thing that we don't learn from the people closest to us. She was like, when we're growing up, we watch our families cook and eat and discuss topics at the dinner table. We watch them train a dog. We watch them clean. We watch them do all that stuff. We watch them have relationships. We don't learn about sex from them. We learn about it from strangers online. So of course there's like, going to be such a disconnect there um but yeah I think just like with the alpha male episode after speaking to a woman called Tasha Mansley who ended up just being someone who like bumped into me on the street to say hello and that she liked my cartoons it was crazy she's a sex educator that goes into schools and delivers sex education that centers around porn literacy and also like trans inclusive sex education and I'm so grateful for little organizations like this that are just doing what the government isn't doing. It's filling in the gaps, you know? 100%. There were so many amazing moments in that podcast and you just named a few that I was just like, yes, I was listening on the bus. I was like, fuck yes, like this is it. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, talking about the split banana people, right? Like who, how they're going into schools and they're talking to these kids. I couldn't help but like reflect on the whole conversation, especially about like um, like media panic because the idea of like parents or like, I don't know, people like us, like young people talking to younger people about porn and intimacy and sex in really like helpful, healthy ways freaks adults the fuck out. Like people like, you know, there was a book actually earlier this year in Australia that was written by someone who works at ABC, Yumi Steins, who that got taken off the shelves because it was literally just like a how yeah. to have sex book. And it was genuinely so beautiful and so good. And people were going up to, you know, the store that it was being sold at and like ripping off shelves, abusing staff. Like it's, it's, it's insane. And there was something that like you said in the episode, you know, talking about these like media panics that are happening and it's all people are like, oh, we got to protect the children. And I find that so funny because I'm literally like, we are the future. Like we're doing the job so much better than you. And the kids are all right. Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that's kind of how I felt after hearing like, you know, the split banana people going into schools and talking to these kids. Like, did you feel the same, Lily? Totally. I mean, I'd always thought that uh, watching these kind of 
media panics happen online and on news channels I always was like you have no clue the kids are they have the language they have the dialogue they care so much and have so much like care about things like consent um and by what's so ironic to me is where like those people are like we have to save we have to protect the children but in doing so they are actively harming their children so they are the ones that will be the reason that these kids will get STIs will get unwanted pregnancies and will have horrible um experiences with sex and also porn so you know it's it's totally bizarre it's just fear they're just terrified and it's pathetic that the thing that created you is the thing that you're so afraid of like you wouldn't exist without sex let's not be ridiculous here but no Tasha said something that I really loved which is so true which is that sex and relationships education has a real history of kind of reflecting the moral panics at the time so people will look for something to grab onto and they grab onto that mm. and a big moral media panic that's been happening in the UK is porn education so and it's just ridiculous it's so clickbaity so and it's really split the left and the right uh, even more so than they already are. So porn education started happening around campaigns to get it in schools. And um, what got lost in translation through the kind of clickbaity headlines was porn teachers want to teach your kids how to choke each other. Like your 11 year old is going to choke someone in class. People are teaching you how to do that. It's like, no, they're not. They're, that's absolutely not what, not what they're doing. What's happening is these 11 year olds, which is the average UK age that someone is watching porn, by the way, is 11. And I think that's pretty common in Australia and America and elsewhere. Um, they'll watch a video and they'll come across people choking each other. But what they won't see is that discussion before the video, which is, can I choke you? Do you have a word if it gets too much? A safe word, you know, is this something you've tried before? Those kind of conversations that happen off screen that aren't included in porn. So what happens is when these people start engaging in sex, they choke each other and accidents can happen and people can get hurt. So what they're talking about is, okay, this isn't something to be ashamed of. People enjoy choking during sex, that's fine. But what you need to do is discuss it with your partner, make sure that you're safe. And if you're gonna engage in it, do it safely and consensually, and that's it. But of course, the right-wing uh, commentators do not understand nuance. Um, so, so that's why we spoke to Reed, who is a sex worker and sex educator who went on a talk show facing one of the most well-known right-wing commentators in the UK and just was absolutely like killed him on the spot. And mm -hmm. I loved it. She laughed in his face. She wouldn't look like an idiot. There's also something that Tasha discussed, which is the kind of um, seeing how the right-wing and just like media panics are actually affecting the kids. So uh, she meets lots of trans kids or non-binary kids or just gender non-conforming kids during her sex uh, education classes and some of them particularly those who are trans will actually consider skipping school like won't want to come in when they know the sex education class is happening because historically it has been so exclusionary to them and how Tasha counteracts that is instead of talking about genders she talks about body parts which is so good so she's like outer course and intercourse you can put mouths on outside of the body fingers on the inside of the body and I love that because not only is it inclusive to everyone but it makes straight people be like oh thank god it's not just penetration. It's not just like missionary whilst violins are playing. Like there's so much more I can do. And get like one of my favorite quotes from Tasha and we had to cut out me laughing in the studio was her going, no one's ever come up to me after a session and gone, that was too gay. Like no one ever said that. <laughs> because everyone benefits from gay sex, sex education because it's just more fun activities to add to your sex list. Like that's it.
Mm. It's so funny you say that about penetration because that's something we talk about a lot on the hookup and we get messages from like listeners being like, how do I get there, you know, in a, um, like a guy and girl relationship and they're like, how do I get my partner to realize that like sex isn't just penetration and it doesn't just finish when they've orgasmed and like she's really struggling with him understanding that and you talk about that in the episode it's like it doesn't just end there and that is not all sex is and I love that you spoke a lot about sex toys as well because for a lot of women or people with vulvas you can't orgasm from just penetration it's like let's normalize bringing sex toys in to the bedroom as well yeah I mean statistically it's actually only 18 percent of women and people with vulvas that can orgasm from penetration. So it's a really small minority. Um, And that's just, it's, people think that it happens because of porn, like, and also because of like movies, you know, one of my favorite sex scenes ever, because it's so ridiculous is um, No Strings Attached with Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher, because they have missionary sex for, I'm not kidding, seven seconds, like no foreplay. He just like goes in and she has this explosive orgasm. And I'm watching this like, surely not, like surely not. This is fake news. Like this is honestly going against science. So oh my God. yeah, so <laughs> so Dr. Karen Gurney, who we spoke to, talks about this in the book, but she, the whole actual orgasm statistic, which is so interesting is uh, men and women, I'll say men and women here. I know it's very reductive, but you can, the study is about focuses on heterosexual cis people in particular. So men and women, when they orgasm, they can come 95% of the time in two minutes, men and women. But when they're having casual sex with each other, and by that, I mean one night stands or kind of short-term situationships, that drops down to only about 85% for men. But for women, that goes down to 8%, which is the bleakest thing I've ever had in my life. But it makes so much sense to me because... I never really enjoyed one night stands that much because I never got much pleasure out of them. I only started to enjoy them when I brought toys along with me in my little like clutch bag on field day. You know the one and... that you can get? I used to take one in my bag and it's like the one that looks like a lipstick. It's like a pretend lipstick. Have you seen them? And you just I've seen them. Yes. I... And you just like carry around They're in your not, little you purse. <laughs> I love those ones. They're not powerful enough for me, but <laughs> as a beginner toy, yeah. sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so... Um, yeah, so that's why it was so low for women. And it makes a lot of sense to me why the orgasm gap gets smaller. Women are having more orgasms as they're having relationships and sex with the same person again and again, because having sex with someone new is like learning a new language. Like everyone is different. Um, so that's why I think that, yeah, uh, men should have, this is kind of how I end the episode, but men should have a bedside drawer with not just condoms and lube, but with their own toy. Like, I don't want to have to pack it with me every time like I have had just being the girl boss that I am I went to parliament and then straight after that went to a hotel to stay with my situationship and I didn't realize I had to go through a metal detector to get to this parliamentary event um also because the parliamentary event was about like terrorism so it was totally understandable why um I was invited to go which was really great because me and my friend had been working on an educational cartoon about anti-semitism in football so random but we'd been doing that so we got invited to go and then I had my sex bag with me and I was like, well, what are we going to do? I don't want to get stopped and shown in front of a Lord that I have <laughs> handcuffed vibrators. Stop. So luckily, oh my God. Yeah. This is the plurality of womanhood. Like this is what it is. So then I, um, 
luckily I had a friend who works for the government around the corner in an office that doesn't have metal detectors. So we had this like Mrs. Doubtfire thing where I like ran to her first, gave her the big bag, put on my suit jacket, went to the event, was like, mm, yeah, yeah, did my schmoozing. Obviously very important event, was very glad to be there, very serious. And then I left and she like held out the bag as I ran past, got the train, had a great night with my ex situation shit. You know, I, women can do it all. I'm you're obsessed. an icon. You're a fucking icon. She does the most, Miss Lily. Like she's bebopping around with the sex toys. You've set the bar. I'm not doing enough. I'm like, oh my god, no, like iconic. no, that is so iconic. Firstly, as well, like I agree. I think it would be so hot to go to a guy's place after a night out, a nice date, and they bring out a wand in the drawer. Like I'd be like, okay. Do we want to clean it and then we'll go? That's sick. But, you know, like, I'm just curious, actually, just hearing this. It sounds like you're having a fun time dating and just, as I said, bebopping around town with your sex toys. (laughs) Do you have any, like, other, like, notable, like, slightly fun cooked dating stories that you want to share with us? (laughs) So since the episode has come out, I didn't really think about this at all, but it's kind of been such an easy guide for the men I'm going to date. So I told you that I'm going on two back-to-back dates on Friday. One of them, this guy I was texting today, and I was like, oh, what did you do today? And he replies, I'm going to read it to you live. <laughs> and he goes, um, he goes, <clears throat> I finished episode four of a podcast, my new favorite trendy podcast this morning about sex. Realize I need to buy a sex toy for my bedside drawer. Stop that. That's so hot. No, that is... That Tick. is so hot. Ding dong, green darling. Flag. That is a huge green flag. So I hope that every guy I date listens to that and they'll just like turn up with like these bags and bags from Love Honey. But like, um, I mean, crazy sex stories, we all have them. I I mean, I've been on some crazy ones. I've like squirted on someone's sheets. I didn't know who his name, but that was fun. <laughs> I, the first time I ever squirted. Um I had sex in, oh, there's so many. I've had sex in public. I've, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'll save it for the graphic novel is what I'm saying. Yes. But Look, the thing is, is that. It's I modern dating. Think, I didn't think, for sure. <laughs> I didn't think that these things are crazy until I tell other people and they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, I thought everyone was doing that, but no one was talking about it. And they're like, no, no, that's something that I think is really good is like, I really enjoy period sex um, oh. because to me, it's like free lube and also I'm super aroused in my period. Not everyone is, mm. but also orgasms really help with menstrual cramps. And I have found that to be the case mm. for me. So I think it's quite a good, I don't really love testing my partners, but I do think it's quite a good kind of test to see, you know, I went on a date with this guy who was gorgeous and we're still friends. He was like, tick, tick, tick. And that second date, he, we were going to have sex. And I was like, look, I'm on my period. It's like kind of the very end, but I am. And I should let you know. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. We go back to his house and he has like two toys as well. And he's like, doesn't make me feel weird at all. And he like loves it. And it was kind of like Edward Cullen vibe. Like I just loved it. <laughs> oh, my so, dream. My wet dream. Yeah. So um, I I mean, I've done it. I've done it all except for pegging. Because I, I joke that I'm saving that for my wedding night. But I actually <laughs> think I might. That's so funny. You're like, not that virginity is a concept, but no, I will but be I taking will. yours. That is, <laughs> that is literally the the quote of pegging the patriarchy. You're like, yeah. I can't. Like, and it's not, it's just like, it's the only thing I haven't done. And I, I would just like really like to, I think it's like quite tender and sweet despite how people make it. And I'd really like to light some candles and just like my bride, you know, my man, just kind of make him feel like... <laughs> 
the virgin so i'm gonna do that and also it's just like a great i like telling men that on a hint they just like don't know whether to laugh or if I'm joking or not that I'm they're always like people always have prompts it's about pegging or whatever and I'm like not me saving that for marriage um so I am saving that because I've done other stuff I mean something that was fun is I when I had my first like kind of long-term boyfriend who I felt really comfortable trying stuff out with I kept a notes app list of all the things I wanted to try um and we would like work our way through it and one of them was pee play. And it's like never something that I really thought I would enjoy. I just knew I wanted to try it. So we did it and it was fine. You know, it's like, as you expect, it's kind of messy and quite weird. But we didn't really think about like the cleanliness. And at the time we were living with my mom and dad. And my mom was like, why for the past few days have you just been like washing towels? Like there are so many towels in the washing machine. Oh. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I you know I um I knocked my glass over of water like three nights in a row like what what um (laughs) (laughs) I'm so clumsy (laughs) I know um Lily you were saying that like you were with this partner long-term partner and then you've been single and like casually dating and situationships um which obviously like you mentioned you've been on hinge so are you like what's your vibe around dating apps because I know that you post a lot about them on um yeah on your Instagram vulgar drawing and like we talk about dating apps a lot on the hookup like nine I think it was 94% of our like audience said that they hate dating Mm. apps and they're sick and tired of them what are your vibes are you like thriving on them and loving them or do you have like are you feeling that too you're like I'm fucking sick of them but there's just no way else to make people Mm. I like truly believe that dating apps have had the same like as big as a cultural effect as something like the contraceptive pill in the sense that we're going to look back and like see how this has shaped culture in a way that we just like didn't even expect to happen because when I published like the main cartoon that I did about dating apps was about dating app burnout and the reason I did that is because it had been a decade of dating apps so Grindr came out I think in um, 2009 but it was like because a lot of gay culture is still considered to be niche it wasn't really adopted by the mainstream and then Tinder came out in 2012 and that really adopted Grinders like layout it was basically the same and after that came all the others so you know Bumble, Hinge, Fields, whatever um and it really has been a decade of dating apps and because they came out when I was 18 me and my friends have spent our entire 20s on apps so I've dated guys who were like someone I dated was 37 and he's like it's a whole different world to me when I was younger we would like talk to girls in bars and to me that's just like so creepy and just like not just weird I don't know you're a stranger what's what are your political views I don't know so (laughs) um yeah so I just so I think that dating apps have really totally changed the culture in a way that we are quite naive to so when I actually did the research into understanding dating apps and how they are just like an industry for profit not really not really having our best interests at heart I learned that when Tinder was actually built, the three buttons at the bottom, the love heart, the X, and the next button were designed to mirror an Xbox or PlayStation gamepad, so much so that the designers actually referred to it too as the gamepad. So it really does take away the humanity of dating and seeing people as like products. Um, And the way I feel about it is I really think it's generated quite a paradox of choice. And what I mean by that is like the analogy I use in the cartoon is the mustard aisle. So you go to the supermarkets buy mustard and you look around and there's like shelves and shelves of different types of mustard. There's squeezy mustard, there's American, there's French, there's English. Like, 
and you get so overwhelmed that you're like, you know what? I just don't even want mustard or like no mustard is ever good enough. You take a squeezy mustard home. You're like, I wish I got French and you never, you never settle. And that's when you're, that's kind of when you're overwhelmed with choice. And that is what the apps want because they want you to stay on them. Um, but it's really difficult because like, what's the solution? There's, it's really, I do think there are like more in real life uh, dating things happening. Like I do think that more and more young people, which is great, are setting up like matchmaking services or like speed dating or just like with a kind of updated twist. Um, but I think the key is to take breaks. So dating that burnout is a real thing. It does exist. So the feeling that you get when you have been scrolling on TikTok for too long, it's the same. You have to be really conscious of the gamification of it, that you're dealing with people with real feelings. I also think that we are really hard on ourselves uh, when we don't get the success that we get on apps. And something to bear in mind is like, I'll be talking to my friends if they spent ages on Twitter and they'll be like, oh, I'm feeling really bad. My mental health's really bad. I feel really bad about the state of the world. I've been spending too much time looking at Twitter. So they are able to see that that's Twitter that's doing that. But when they don't get as many matches and likes and comments on Hinge, whatever, they'll be like, it's me. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable, but it's like, it's exactly the same app model. It's the app that's making you feel that way. So it's really important to understand that and to take a break. Um, one thing I've learned is I just ask men out all the time. I'm always asking men out. I I have lost the fear of rejection. And the, truly it's because A, they find out about my cartoon page and they're like terrified that I'm going to draw a cartoon about them. So, <laughs> so it's just like, it's just so much easier for me to approach them. It's so much easier for me to ask men out because they're so a lot of men don't want to do that which is I'm okay with that I'm happy to ask them out um and I do think a lot of women that I speak to who feel that way if they want to come off apps but they want to meet people go for it like you will be surprised most of the guys are like fuck yeah I'd love that let's go for a drink and like you might end up with some great friendships bare minimum mm. so yeah take a break from apps they are soul sucking I do think it will change I do think that uh apps will fall out of fashion I really do think that now it's been a decade the statistics show that people want IRL meetups so I think more and more cultural kind of pop-ups will happen to yeah that. we're definitely finding that with our audience like the main thing like we did a huge episode on it last year which was just like how do you organic hoe essentially yeah. and people want to know that and I think you're right I think it is going to fall out of fashion we're obviously seeing different ways the internet are intervening and getting rid of apps in their own way like the sis are we dating the same man or vouched dating those like Facebook groups I don't know if you've seen them they're pretty fucking cool I'm on both of them I'm on the mm. New York one and the London one yeah I don't know how I feel about it I'm just like there's I, some moral ethical issues there obviously yes. yeah but it is interesting to see people like take that power in their own hands and I don't know if you've seen this as well but like a lot of TikToks at the moment of people realizing that the dating industry is an industry it's a money-making machine and there are all these like conspiracy theories which I'm loving at the moment of people where they're like hinge uh gatekeeping the hot people behind a paywall and I was like well of course they would yeah. like I'm sure they have the fucking tech to do that facial recognition yeah. whatever they're doing that's what they're doing also <laughs> like the f the first like four swipes are hot people <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not like hot people but like people you would probably be like compatible with or they reckon you would be yeah yeah and then that's Me it and my friends call it rose prison like the hinge thing is rose oh, prison yeah. that's where they keep them locked because no one wants to send a rose you only get one a week and mm. it just feels kind of embarrassing yeah it's just not part of the culture of Hinge, even though they try and push it so hard. But it's awful. It's like dangling chocolate in front of you. It's like, these are the people you can't have because you're not rich enough. Like, ooh. Mm. So, <laughs> so I hate that for that reason. Um, yeah, I think 
So go on. Sorry. I um, with the with the roast thing. It's interesting because I'm like. Like the, on the embarrassing cringe thing, I'm like, you're gatekeeping a bunch of people you think I'm the most compatible with. But then whenever I've given the rose, because I've just been like, that's my soulmate, I just know it. Um, <laughs> the, it never works out well because it's cringe. Like the, the other person is just like, ew, fuck off. Why are you sending me a rose? Yeah. And then it's just like this awkward, embarrassing moment because you're like, well, I've given you my rose and now I'll never get to meet my soulmate. Cause, but then it's almost like you pissed off at Hinge because you're like, you told me. That this app is made for meeting people and getting off the apps, and you just fucked me. Yeah, you know they just I mean? want to keep like, you there. It's just they just want to keep you there, yeah. and it's so frustrating. And like what we've been talking yeah. about, I feel like so many people are feeling this so hectically, and like all my friends now are just like friend, trying to find people to set them up in real life, like through friends. They're like, "Do you have anyone? Do you have a friend of a friend?" Like, and it might not even be like who they would normally go for. But they're just so desperate to meet someone that isn't someone off an app that they'll like give someone a go that they probably normally wouldn't just because a friend was like, yeah, this person's single and I know Which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really good. I think it's great because studies do show that we, what we think our type on paper doesn't always reflect in real life. And I've really found that because when I'm on Hinge, I definitely fall into a habit of like heavily filtering people because it's just quicker and easier. But actually I found that I've been on dates with those people and it's so boring because it's just like dating myself in male form. There's like no challenge there. There's like nothing to talk about. We just agree on everything. But actually the kind of best like relationships or situationships I've had are with people who are like essentially the same kind of moral code as me, but they have slightly different experiences or upbringings or attitudes. And it's so nice and sexy to date someone who like wants to challenge you to be like, you know what? I don't want to see that movie. I want to see this. And here's why. Like, I love that. Um, And I think you don't get that when you heavily, heavily filter out people. Also, I just think it's dodgy that you can help like filter out ethnicities on Hinge. I don't know why that's talked about enough. I've spoken to people who aren't white and they're like, well, I, for my safety, stuff like that, which I can understand that. But I just think, I think white people filtering out, it just makes me feel like there's something really wrong with that. It makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. But I think um, Hinge and all dating apps are like the diet industry so that's kind of how I think the two industries are the most similar so we are now like assessing the diet industry in a really good way that I think we'll do in dating industries in a little while but I don't think it's happening quite yet and the reason I say that is because the dieting industry benefits from you failing and coming back so if diets worked they wouldn't exist right but like they work because it's a cycle you fall off you come back Weight Watchers has like such a high return rate and it's the same with dating apps. They benefit from you failing and coming back. I was literally speaking to a friend outside about, he He told me this random fact. He was like, did you know that if you use a certain brand of shaving cream with that same razor, the cream is designed to break down the razor so that you buy a new razor? And I was no. like, we live in a society like this is fucked. I can't do this anymore. No. Like, Every I feel like You're a like little mouse. Into the Joker. Yeah, <laughs> or like that guy Pepe with the the whiteboard and he's going insane, like with the pointing. Yes, that's me. I'm that meme, and I, I'm starting to really starting to get on board with these conspiracies. But anyway, God, Lily, <laughs> this has been such a great chat. I honestly want to keep going. I know. Your brain is just incredible, and you're like, like, yeah. I just feel like we need to get a beer and talk about this more. <laughs> but look, we'll let you go. This has just been so fun. And like, yeah, everybody go check out 
Volga Drawings, if you're not already following Lily on there, that's at Volga Drawings, as well as her brand new podcast, No Worries If Not. Great title, by the way. Obsessed. Obsessed. Thank you. It's how I end every email. No, Kim <laughs> and I always have a joke about this because we're people pleasers and we like, all right, yeah. can you check? Where should I put the explanation mark in this email? Um, and, and it's like, it was three all too many? Not, all good if not. We always go, all good if not. All good, so all good if not. <laughs> every Do you time. mind if I get paid for today? No, all good if not. It's oh, fine. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, it's incredible. It's an <laughs> epidemic. Um, but we love to see it. That's womanhood. Um, Lily, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Lily, we're so serious when we say we're taking you up on that Bev. As soon as we're in London, ship me over. Get me on that flight ASAP. I know. I really want to be your best friend in real life. I know. <laughs> Honestly, I reckon you would have felt the same listening to that combo. Like she's just she's incredible. She's so warm, she's so friendly. Such a vibe. And if you are a fan now, you can follow her on Instagram at Volga Drawings. And make sure you check out her podcast. No worries if not. Yes. And make sure you're obviously doing all of the above with us. At Triple J The Hookup <laughs> is our Instagram. Yes. And um, follow us on wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>